Hall of Fame coaches, national champions, lottery picks, the best minds in basketball. Welcome into the sidelines with Evan Daniels. What's up, college basketball fans? Welcome back into the Sidelines Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Daniels, college basketball insider over at FS1, as well as the director of basketball recruiting at 24-7 Sports. Today's episode of the Sidelines Podcast is the 64th episode, and the featured guest is new Xavier head coach Travis Steele. Steele, who just got the job this past Saturday... Talk to me about his first four days on the job, what Chris Mack has meant to his career and how he thinks he'll do at Louisville, plus advice from Akron head coach John Gross, who actually happens to be his brother, and Arizona head coach Sean Miller. Before we get to that conversation, I want to make sure that you are subscribed and supporting the Sidelines podcast, and the best way to do that is to shoot over to Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app. Hit the subscribe button for me, but also leave a rating and a review. That would be extremely helpful. You can also shoot me a note over on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Evan Daniels. Would love to know what you think about the podcast. With Without further ado, let's jump to that conversation with new Xavier head coach, Travis Steele. It's time to go minimum with Evan Daniels. Send it in, big fella. Now let's welcome in new Xavier head basketball coach, Travis Steele, to the sidelines podcast. Travis, you were informed that you got the Xavier job on Saturday morning. What have the past few days been like for you? Hectic, to say the least. Um, you know, trying to uh, obviously the first thing I did was call our team, um, everybody on our team, their parents, their coaches, uh, just to share in the excitement um, that I had to lead this program. Um, you know, it's been a it's been a busy busy forty eight hours, but it's been a really good forty eight hours. How many text messages did you get from Saturday on? I'm going to set the over and under at at, at five hundred. What 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 was that number at? Eleven hundred. <laughs> we had over 1100 you know what i feel bad evan because you know you want to, you don't want to be that guy that doesn't communicate back with somebody um but it's been overwhelming the communication whether it's emails text messages phone calls you know but i but i do understand i have to stay focused on on what's most important and make the priorities and and that's our guys in the locker room and and recruiting you know getting that you know geared back up here which starts to back up on thursday at noon um and also, you know, just, just the people around our program. So those are my priorities. When you got the job, when, when Greg Christopher, the Xavier Athletic Director, said, Travis, you're our guy, what's been the first order of business for you since? I think first and foremost are the players in the locker room. You know, again, making sure that even any concerns that they may have um, and, and their parents, uh, which they've all been ecstatic. Yeah, it's been, uh, they're all really excited. Um, and same thing with the 2018 class. We'd signed three guys in the fall, um, doing the same thing with those guys, you know, getting on the phone with them, talking to them, setting up when I'm going to be coming to visit them in person. Um, and then we have a 2019 uh, prospective student athlete that's committed to us. They gave a verbal commitment to us as well back in the winter, and he's staying with his commitment with us as well, you know, getting on the phone with him and his AAU coach. And, uh, you know, make, again, easing any concerns that they may have, making sure that they know the vision of the program, the expectations kind of from here on out. You know, coaches always say about their first jobs and nothing can really prepare you for that. I mean, are, are you going through that firsthand uh, right now? Yeah, you know, the level of communication. You know, like I went, I went to Villa 7 and 
I've done all that. And they say, hey, these are what you're going to do your first 30 days, you know, your, your first 60 days. And uh, it probably doesn't prepare you for the level of the, the amount of communication that's thrown in your face all at once. Um, it's hard. And, and, but the good thing for me is I have, I have several good mentors in this business. Um, and those guys, you know, Sean Miller said, hey, you know, focus on what's important. Don't get distracted uh, with, with with other things. You know, stay in, stay with those guys in the locker room with your players, with the recruits. Um, you know, focus on those things, and, and the rest will take care of itself. Travis, you mentioned your players, and you're going to meet with your team uh, for the first time uh, that, since you've been named ho- head coach this week. W- what's going to be your message to the, those group of guys that now have a? Uh, you've been a voice there for them, but as an assistant coach, your voice is now changing to head coach. Well, what's your message going to be to those those guys? You know, first thing, I, I want there to be an excitement and an energy level. Um, I, I want them to see my vision that I have for the program kind of moving forward, um, the expectations level that I have for, for each individual, whether it's academics, whether it's off-the-court basketball-wise. You know, give them a plan moving forward. Um more than anything, I want them to know, like, hey, number one, again, that there is an excitement level. I want them to feel genuinely have a ton of energy about our new program, about our program moving forward. And, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set the bar really, really high. Now, I know how this works. I'm sure you've been uh, inundated with, with calls about people wanting to work on your staff. What's kind of your plan on putting together uh, your uh, assistant coaching staff, your operations staff? Where, where, do, you, where do you go about with it, and, and how quickly do you move forward with that process? Urban Meyer, I know, he, he's been quoted as saying, hiring your staff is the most important thing you can do as a head coach. And I'm not going to be in a rush, even though I want to get people here immediately. Um, you know, I'm going I'm to take my time and do it the right way. Um, you know, it, it's almost like you're putting together, it's not about assembling talent, it's about putting putting together an orchestra. You know, and you can, you can have two, the two of the world's best cello players, but it doesn't really matter. You only need one. Like, we, I want to make sure that the staff fits together the personalities, the strengths and weaknesses that they bring on the floor, um, recruiting areas that they bring to the table. Everything has to fit. Um, you know, as far as the assistant coaches go, you know, we're able to keep our strength coach, Matt Jimmy, he does a great job. He's been with us for nine years since Chris Mack was head coach. Um, our guys love him, and we were able to also keep our two operations guys as well, Jeremy Grow and Mario Mercurio. So there's enough familiar faces around here, and the people that know how I want to work and how I operate that will help make this transition a lot smoother. Now, you're only a couple of days into the job, and, and outside of the obvious, when, when you step on the sidelines and, and have the main voice on the court, what's going to be the biggest adjustment for you sliding over a couple seats on that bench and leading this program? You know, I think time management. You know, I think time management is so critical. And, and uh, you know, making sure that the priorities are taken care of first um, because you, you have a lot of people pulling at you. You know, whether it's boosters who want to come speak here, there, and it's like you want to say yes to everything. And honestly, the best thing to say is no. <laughs> and, uh, because, and, and, and I got to get used to doing that, and I'm already getting used to doing it. Um, I think that is, is the biggest challenge that I'm going to have, uh, you know, being a first time head coach. Well, I appreciate you saying yes and doing this podcast. Anything for you. (laughs) (laughs) In what ways, Travis, will – and obviously you've spent a lot of time around Chris Mack, uh, nine years working with him. In what ways do you plan – will the way that you want this team to play differ 
maybe than how max teams have played uh, the past nine years? You know, I would say somewhat similar. I mean, like, again, I believe in what we've done here. And the, one of the great things that I think Chris Mack does, man, he empowers his assistant coaches to coach, mm-hmm. uh, to have an opinion, um, whether it's in practice and games. Um, and he helped develop us, each of us assistants, Luke Murray, Mike Pagese, and myself. And, and uh, so I, we had a great say in the program. You know, Chris really allowed me to, to call the offense, design the offense. So I think the offense is going to stay very, very, very similar. Now, again, you know, set plays and stuff, that's going to differ year to year depending upon your personnel. We don't have Trayvon Blue and J.P. Bacure anymore. Um, so we're probably not going to be running, you know, uh, special plays to get uh, to get Najee Marshall a three-point shot. You know, it's going to be probably more of a drive right. for him. Um, you know, so offensively, I would say similar. We're going to, we want to play really, really fast. Um, off a missed shot, off the made shot, and then we want to be able to flow and be able to, be able to play together, you know, work together to get a great shot, be a high assist team. Um, on the defensive end, you know, I, I wholeheartedly believe in the pack line defense that we've implemented since Sean Miller was head coach here. Um, holds our guys accountable. Um, it gives our guys everything. It's black or white. There's no gray area, which I love. And, uh, and it allows you to kind of get better within your system. We don't change from game to game. You know, I, I, in March, we're, we're much better defensively than we were in October, you know, because we get those habits in practice every single day. You know, so stylistically on, on, on the floor, I think we're going to be very, very similar. Um, you know, practice, the structure of practice will be similar. You know, we're all about competing at everything that we do. We want to, there's always a winner and there's always a loser. You know, iron sharpens iron. We want to go good versus good. We're not going to have, you know, the good guys over here, then the, the kind of the reserve guys on the other team. Um, I want guys that want to compete, and guys that are going to be tough, and uh, guys that are going to work hard. You, you mentioned how Chris Mack empowers his staff and what you've been able to learn uh, from spending time around him. But what's maybe the most applicable thing uh, that you've learned from the last nine years working under Chris Mack? Number one, how organized he is. I mean, he is incredibly detailed. Uh, how he structures his day, how he structures our guys' weeks, um, how he, you know, and then even the holistic, you know, you look out, he looks out at your head. He's got everything planned. Um, practice, you know, we're going to work on this on practice number 10. Like, he, he has a great vision uh, of, of organization. He really does. How he organizes practice every second is, uh, is important. There's no dead time. He doesn't want to waste anybody's time. Um, you know, he does a great job with that. And I think the other thing he's a lead at, uh, Evan is, is just his communication. You know, he, he understands his audience. You know, he could talk to a 16, 17-year-old prospective student-athlete recruit, and he can speak their language. And then 10 minutes later, you can put him in front of 200 people, or you can sit him in front of a, a 45-year-old booster, and guess what? He can connect with them as well. And uh, he's an incredible communicator. Can, can you put into words what he's meant to your career? Uh, he's meant everything. I mean, he's not the only one. You know, like my brother and Sean Miller, Dad Mata, and Kevin Sampson have been helped me get to where I am. But without Chris Mack, I definitely would not be here. I've learned so much from him. Uh, he's one of my best friends. I respect the heck out of him. He's a uh, he's a better person than he is a coach, and I think he's a pretty damn good coach. How do you think he'll do it, uh, to Louisville? What do you think about that fit? I think he'll do great. You you could stick Chris anywhere. Honestly, he's gonna win, and he's gonna do it the right way. Um, you know, he just has a systematic way about him, uh, recruiting, um, coaching, 
Uh, you know, he, he inspires guys, to motivate guys. He, he, he is a big-time coach. You mentioned kind of the coaches that, that have mentored you and, and you've been around, and it's a, a really impressive list to go with Mac. Uh, you, you, you said Thad Mata and Sean Miller and Kevin, Kelvin Sampson. Obviously your brother is the former Illinois coach now at Akron, uh, Coach John Gross. How have these guys helped mold your career? You know, I think you kind of – and, again, I always say it to everybody, I'm my own guy. Right. But at the same time, you kind of go through, and I've always kept a running document of things that I like <laughs> and things that I don't like. Uh, you know about each program or how they do things and things that I would do differently. Um, you know, so I picked a, different things from from everybody, um, and they all have their own strengths and weaknesses, just like I have my own strengths and weaknesses. Um, but I've been so fortunate uh, to have worked under some tremendous coaches. And uh, but at the same time, I got to be my own guy. You know, I'm gonna be my own personality. I'm gonna run my, the program my own way. Um, and, you know, I think i got to be genuine with that, and I think our players will respect that. Have you actually kept kind of like a running uh, document of, uh, of how you wanted to build this program over the past 10 years? I have. I have. And it's, it's very detailed. You can just, you know, different, you know, what would I do differently? What would I do the same? You know, here's another idea, you know. Again, so I don't have to be able to put my own stamp on the program. Um, you know, I'm not Chris Mack. I'm not Sean Miller. I'm not Thad Mata. Um, I'm my own guy, but I obviously have taken things from those guys over the years that I've been able to work underneath them. Of all those guys, you've obviously spent more time around your brother, Coach Gross, than anyone. He's now been a head coach at, at three different schools, uh, Ohio, uh, Illinois, now Akron. W- what's the best piece of advice he's given you about taking over a new program and, and, and shifting that voice to yours? You know, he just said, be comfortable with who you are, be you 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 know and again you don't have to be chris mack um you know and and being comfortable with that um you know the other piece of advice that he, that he gave me is kind of similar to what Sean miller said you know just make sure that those players down in the locker room know that you have their back you care about them you love them don't change don't change in that regard um just all of a sudden because you come head coach um you know so kind of, you know be who i am be genuine uh, it was kind of it was his biggest piece of advice. Now you you've built a reputation uh, of a really good recruiter even since you were at Ohio State as a graduate assistant. Uh, Ohio State reeled in Greg Oden and Mike Conley, and 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 you saw that firsthand. W- what do you think is the most integral part of the recruiting process, and and, and what what makes you uh, so good in that regard? Yeah, I don't know if I'm any good at recruiting, but I, I, I do try to like show guys that I care, earn their trust, connect with them on their level, and then show them how, you know, that Xavier can benefit them. You know, great education, how he can develop them on and off the court, um, develop them as a student as well. Um, you know, again, like Xavier is a great place to sell. We we have we have a ton of resources here. We've got a ton of success here. Um, you know, we've got incredible facilities. Um, our administration's been great. Um, you know, but again, I think it comes down to, you know, how, how can how does Xavier benefit that kid? And getting that kid to understand that and getting their trust, that, that, that means everything in recruiting. Now, most see the payoff, Travis, but few see what it takes to get there. And similarly, you know, I started covering recruiting when I was in college. You started coaching when you were an undergrad 
uh, at Butler. How, how valuable was that early experience coaching while you were in college uh, in the early start of your career? Uh, it was very valuable. You know, I learned from Steve Whitty, who's one of the best uh, best high school coaches in the history of Indiana high school basketball. And he gave me an opportunity when I was really young. And, and it taught me at a young age, I had to try to figure out how to gain the respect of guys. Basically, I was the same age as, maybe two years older. And the way that I did it was, again, I had to learn, like, hey, I, they, I had to show that I was going to go over and beyond for, the, for those guys. I had to. I wanted them to know that I cared, and I was willing to work for them. I'm, I was there to help them get to where they want to go. And that's how I was able to gain their respect and be able to coach them. And, you know, that, that's who I am. And I, I don't think that's really changed, uh, you know, how many ever years later now that I've been in Xavier, I think I'm the same way. And, and that's not going to change because that's who I am as the head coach. When did you know that you wanted to coach for a living? Man, I was young. I was probably about six or seven years old. Uh, and I always knew, you know, basketball runs in my family. And, and, and John and I were both really lucky. Todd Licklider, uh, who's a former head coach at Butler in Iowa, he was our high school coach. And so he was training me when I was six, seven years old. Uh, so I always had good basketball people around me. Um, it was important. You know, it's kind of in the fabric of life in, in Indiana high school basketball. You know, so I knew I wanted to do it at a very young age. You've obviously had a wide variety of experiences. We mentioned uh, coaching in high school. You were an operations guy. You've been an assistant. You've been an associate head coach. But you also spent a season at a junior college, Wabash Valley College. What was the, the junior college experience like, and, and, and what did you learn from it? You know, it was great. You know, I did that because I didn't want to have any rules as far as being able to coach AAU at the same time and also <laughs> being able to uh, – you know, I, I could recruit as much as I wanted to. I could make any phone call. I could go see kids a thousand times if I wanted to. You know, there were no rules. And it allowed me again to coach and have a big voice. And I felt like I, at that time, at that point in my life, um, I, I felt like I just need to get my feet wet, just dive in and be a coach. Um, and it was a great experience because I had to do everything. You know, I, I got to recruit. I got to be, I got to coach. I got to development. And uh, it, it really allowed me to blossom, I think, as a coach. Did you foresee being able to be a, a head coach at a place like Xavier by 34 years old? Man, uh, you know, you never plan on it. You know, it's, it's a dream of mine. Um, and, again, I, I didn't necessarily even want, I didn't want Chris to leave. You know, I want Chris to do what's best for him. Um, you know, but it is a dream come true. I mean, I, I love Xavier. I believe in Xavier and the, the mission of the school. Um, yeah, I'm very, very fortunate. Well, thoughts, uh, thoughts on your team next year? You're obviously uh, losing some big pieces in, in, in J.P. McCura and, and Trayvon Blewett. Those guys have been kind of the, the foundation of that program for the past couple years. Uh, how do you get past those guys, and, and what do you think about your group next year? You know, obviously those guys are tremendous. Um, you know, they were, they, like you said, they were the, the cornerstones of our program over the last four years. You know, so we've got big shoes to fill. And, but I do think we can be – the best defensive team that we've had since I've been here at Xavier. Um, you know, I, you, you look at Paul Strzok, Quentin Gooden, uh, Najee Marshall, uh, Kaiser Gates, Tyree Jones, Elias Harden, all those guys can defend. And I, they can defend multiple positions. Um, you know, so I, I, we have to be an elite defensive team, which I think we can be. And then I think we have to play extremely fast next year to get some easy baskets. And we got to be monsters on the offensive glass to get, you know, extra shots as well. 
Um, but I think we got a chance to be really good, and I'm going to challenge our guys. We have to have the best offseason that we've ever had. You know, to climb that last 2% of the mountain, uh, it's the hardest part to climb. And, and, and what we've done here at Xavier is in, for decades, it's been built on players like Byron Larkin, Brian Grant, Tyrone Hill, to Dave West, um, two Holloways, and Jordan Crawford. We've had tremendous players that have gotten our program to the point where it's at. How are we going to get this thing through to a national championship? Because that's the goal here. And I, and I think we're close. But our guys, we got we got to give even that much more effort. Like when you watch Villanova and Michigan, man, like I want to be in that game. And that's the goal for our program. I wanted to ask you about that game before I let you go. Obviously, you're very familiar with Villanova playing them uh, twice a year since you guys have been in the Big East. Uh, surprised at how dominant their performance was throughout the tournament? I'm not. I'm not surprised at all. I, Jay Wright does a phenomenal job. They got great players that are selfless. They play extremely hard, um, and, and they're well coached. Uh, I mean, they, they are a, they're a machine. They are a machine. You know, they've been the uh, the premier program in the Big East since we've been in. We were able to win the Big East regular season title this year, um, but there's no mistake. And they've been the best team in our league since since we since we entered the Big East and. You know, we try to model our side, ourselves a little bit off Illinois, to be honest, and how we recruit, the type of player, the versatility that they have. Um, that's the way the game is trending. You know, when you have five guys like they had this year that shot 40% or better from three, and they could just stretch you in so many different ways on the floor. And it really opened up the floor for their drives then as well, you know, because you feel, felt like you had to be there on the catch, uh, you know, nose to nose. Um, on every one of their guys, so I'm not surprised at all. Did Did you think that their team this year was better than their team two years ago that won the championship? I did. I'm just curious. I do. I, I do. I, I just think they, they they were so explosive offensively. Um, they could go on a 12-0, 15-0 run like in, in two seconds, you know. Um, and not that they could two years ago. They were obviously really good then as well. I think this is the most dominant team that he's had. Last question for you, Travis. And obviously you said you, you knew you wanted to coach at a really young age, but if you weren't coaching, and this is a question I ask everybody that comes on the podcast, if you weren't coaching, what would you be doing with your life? You know, I'd be like a PE teacher. I'd be a teacher of some sort. And, and again, I, I want to be around kids. I want to help people. Um, you know, so that, that was my backup plan. And I was to be a high school teacher. Um, you know, again, because I, I love being around kids and I love helping kids kind of get to where they want to go. Travis, I appreciate your time. Congratulations on uh, on the new gig at Xavier and uh, good luck in the off season and building out your staff. Thanks, Evan. I appreciate it. This is Sean Miller. The Arizona Wildcats for the first time in 13 years win the Pac-12 tournament. And you're listening to the sidelines with Evan Daniels. I'd like to once again thank Travis Steele, the new head coach at Xavier, for taking the time out and jumping on the Sidelines podcast. Enjoyed that conversation with the new Musketeers head coach. Before I let you go, I want to get to three big things, and I'm going to start with Dante DiVincenzo's ridiculous performance in the national championship game on Monday night. The Villanova redshirt sophomore was absolutely incredible, scoring 31 points on 10 for 15 shooting. Get this, 5 of 7 from the three-point line. He was clearly, and I do mean clearly, the best player on the floor throughout the national championship game. So that got me thinking, 
what kind of prospect is Dante DiVincenzo for the NBA? This is a guy that's a combination guard that stands six foot five, and he absolutely shredded the Michigan defense with strong drives, with pull-ups off the bounce, and jumpers from long range. I polled a number of NBA scouts and executives late Monday night to ask their opinion, and the truth is there wasn't much of a consensus. One NBA scout told me he's probably a first-round pick after this. Another noted, welcome to the party, Evan. And then another NBA scout said he's still a second round guy and he even said mid-second round guy but said he could trick somebody the scouts that like Dante DiVincenzo told me that they like him because of his shooting this is a guy that was 85 for 212 which is just over 40 percent from three and obviously it's not just his ability to shoot off the catch he's very good off the dribble shoots it well on the move and I think what's notable when you're looking at Dante DiVincenzo as a prospect is that he's improved such a great deal since he was in high school this is a kid that was just outside the top 100 in the top 24-7 over at Scout when I was there we had him just inside the top 100 but the weakness in his game was his shooting he wasn't a great shooter in high school he was an athlete he was tough he was creative he was a combo guard but he didn't shoot it great and he's obviously made significant strides in that area last year he shot at 36.5 percent from three and like I mentioned all the way up to 40 percent from three this year get this on two-point field goals this season on 179 attempts, nearly 58%. So he's also a good finisher at the rim, has a developed mid-range game. So the scouts that like him noted his shooting ability, but as always, there were detractors. And I think the scouts uh, that I talked to that didn't, that, that aren't as big or as high on Dante DiVincenzo as the others brought up his ball handling and his inability to handle pressure. Uh, one scout said, not sold on his ball handling and playmaking for others. He continued, shooting is more streaky than consistent, but is tough-minded and will definitely have a place in the NBA. Regardless, Dante DiVincenzo was absolutely incredible in the national championship game. I would imagine that he enters his name in the NBA draft and doesn't sign with an agent right away. He'll probably evaluate the process and go from there, but... 31 points in the title game. Villanova's second national championship in three years. Pretty incredible stuff by Jay Wright. I want to get to Joe Crema's story. This is a a junior guard over at Albany, and I think he has a a, a really unique story. He's going to do a graduate transfer. He just announced that he would leave the school, uh, but his story is very unique. He's in unfamiliar territory, and I say that because this is a kid that never went through the recruiting process when he was in high school. I talked to Joe earlier this week, and he told me that he committed to Albany as a junior. He never received another scholarship offer. He never even took an official visit when he was a high school recruit, didn't play AU, and now he's one of the most pursued players in the entire country. This past season, Joe averaged 17.8 points a game, shot nearly 46% from three. In three seasons at Albany, Nearly 1,500 points for Joe Krim, a pretty impressive. Now, his list of suitors is lengthy and of high major programs. I'm going to read them off. Arizona, Cincinnati, Creighton, Louisville, Marquette, Ohio State, Seton Hall, St. Bonaventure, St. Joe's, SMU, Texas, Texas Tech, Connecticut, West Virginia, and Wichita State. He told me all of those schools have reached out to him. 
the next step is starting to set up visits, and he wouldn't really tip his hand on who he might go see, but I think that's going to come here in the next week. He's going to kind of whittle that down and, and try to figure out what schools he wants to visit. I asked him uh, about what he's looking for, and he basically said he's looking for a good fit for his game, but also a chance to play in the NCAA tournament. So Joe Kermit, one of the best graduate transfers in all the country, is getting a chance to go through this recruiting process, which is something he was never able to do in high school. And uh, I think he's arguably the best graduate transfer in the country, at least certainly up there. The last thing I want to discuss is the lack of effort at the McDonald's All-American game last week. I was there to scout uh, who is the best prospects in the 2018 class at the McDonald's All-American game. I watched uh, three different practices. I watched the scrimmage, and then I watched the game. And the resounding thought from NBA scouts and executives that I talked to is that the players didn't compete. They didn't play hard every day in practice. And it's actually pretty mind-boggling that a group uh, of 24 basketball players, and there was a couple injuries, so only 20 guys played, but a group of basketball players showed up with a chance to make an impression on a number of GMs and upwards uh, of 80 NBA scouts over the course of, of four days. They had a chance to make a first impression And the truth is the impression that the group as a whole left was that they're not competitors, that they don't play hard. And obviously there's an outlier, a guy like Nazir Little really helped himself uh, because he played hard. And he had a big-time performance in the game. A guy like Kobe White, both of those guys happened to be going to North Carolina. He helped himself because he played hard. But the resounding theme from talking to NBA scouts and executives is these guys didn't compete and they didn't play hard. And I just don't understand uh, walking out on the court with an opportunity to, to provide a first glance and a first impression uh, to the guys that are scouting the league, that these kids ultimately want to play in and leave that kind of impression. I, I talked to a number of, of scouts this week and, and after the event and it kept coming up and it kept coming up. So I, I thought it was worth talking about on here. I don't know what exactly the issue is. And I do think this 2018 class is down from a talent perspective. It's honestly one of the worst groups uh, over the last 10 years, especially in the post. There's not a lot of great post prospects. Um, but as a whole, the talent is down. But but so is the effort. And uh, I'm curious to see how they respond with the Jordan Brand Classic coming up and the Nike Hoop Summit coming up. Um, but NBA scouts and executives were very disappointed uh, with the group as a whole from a talent standpoint, but also from an effort standpoint. That's all the time I have for you guys today. I appreciate you guys listening to the Sidelines podcast. Make sure that you are supporting it. Shoot over to Apple Podcasts. Shoot over to your favorite podcast app. Hit the subscribe button for me. Leave a rating. Leave a review. You can also shoot me a note over on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Evan Daniels. Would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.